You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Listen to We Are Libertarians at wearelibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spengel and I host a show where we talk about the stories you and your friends are talking about and then we give you libertarian solutions so you sound smarter when you're talking to your friends. We're going to make you sound like a genius. Tune in now at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle, and you're listening to the show on the We Are Libertarians Network, which is brought to you by our patrons. So if you enjoy all the content that we put out, please join our Patreon. Now, it's been a while since I've, uh, really about a year since I've done one of these episodes, and this, this feed has long been one of those feeds where I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. And... I have decided that I want to start doing this on Saturdays. I generally have nothing to do on Saturdays, so not a, not a lot to do. Uh, and I want to begin doing a weekend show, essentially, uh, that's fairly short. Kind of a cleanup on what we talk about on We Are Libertarians, but also uh, to practice for hosting my own radio show. To be honest, there's a big difference between podcasting and radio. You wouldn't think that. If you host a talk show, it is uh, usually one person monologuing like I'm doing now, talking into a microphone. You've got time breaks. You've got all kinds of live production. And, you know, I've made no secret of that's my eventual goal. That's what I want to do. That's what I've been training for the last 20 years to do, reading news, working in politics, working in radio, and I've, I've gotten an education that few people could pay for in, in the jobs that I've had and the people that I've been mentored by. Uh, and so the only, the only thing that uh, could prevent that is me. And so that is why I'm going to be here on Saturdays doing this. We will eventually roll out uh, a little more format, a little more structure. Um, but I, I didn't get that together this week. And so I was like, you know, I, I should just blow this off and go to the state fair. And I said, no, you can't do that, because if you're going to say on the, sh- on the big show, you're going to make a promise, I'll be here Saturday, you're going to do this, then you better do it. If you're going to do it, and you've decided to do it, you ought to do it. And so that is why I am here. And, uh, the, you know, I, uh, I love doing podcasting. I love doing radio. I love talking to you folks. It has been a truly incredible year for me. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, it was really kind of like, and I've talked about this on various shows, but it, it, it was a situation where I had for a long time been kind of the comedic lead of my own show and had a lot of smart people on and asked them smart and smart ass questions and talked to them about a lot of different things. And I, I didn't have, um, I, I mean, I, I've always read a lot. I've always kind of studied what we were talking about or read books or paid attention to the news or listened to podcasts. But, you know, I haven't put in the work like I've put in the last couple of years where I'm doing a lot of the prep. I'm running the, the research team that we have. You know, Sam Schultz, our lead researcher, put together the show notes. He's been amazing in, in helping me do some of this stuff. Uh, you know, I pick all the topics and then he helps kind of support with an outline of what we're doing on We Are Libertarians and now the Chris Spangle Show. And, and it's just been phenomenal to work with 
you know, a dozen people really to put together what we do on We Are Libertarians. But at the core of it is me reading and keeping up on the news and trying to make sure that when I sit behind this microphone, I'm taking your time seriously. You're learning something. Uh, you're learning the output of what I'm learning, really. And we're trying to make better arguments for liberty across the board. So now many of you may not know who I am or you may have heard me on other podcasts. Um, and I co-host the, pot, the Pat Down. Uh, I'm involved in, in a few different other projects. And some of you may have just searched my name and found this show. Well, let me explain who I am just a little bit. I am a libertarian. I live here in Indianapolis. A libertarian is basically somebody who tries to look to the private sector to solve societal problems. And it's fundamentally what your parents taught you growing up. Don't hurt people. Don't take other people's stuff. Don't lie to them. Don't, you know, don't defraud them, uh, in other words. And uh, my parents didn't really ever tell me not to defraud people, but uh, <laughs> don't be a fraud. It's not the 30s. Hey, listen to you. Don't be a fraud. Um, and so I have been working in the libertarian sphere and podcasting in the libertarian sphere since 2008. Uh, I've worked in talk radio since 2014 and, uh, you know, worked in the Republican party before I worked in the libertarian party. I, I come from the right. I am culturally more right and uh, a Christian. I am not a Republican though. And it is always funny when you're sitting down with like an old Tea Party person and you're talking about how much you both love natural rights and the Constitution and the founding of the United States government. And then you go, and that's why we shouldn't be intervening in other countries. And this war, it really, we need to end these wars and police brutality is out of control. And then their eyes just get as big as saucers or you're talking to a liberal and they think that you're just Sean Hannity. And then you say the same thing. And they, they just, they don't really know how to handle libertarians because we, we are unique. We, we don't start with a set of issues. I think a lot of times people begin with the idea of if I agree with these issues that I'm in this camp. And if I'm, uh, more in these positions like kind of like i side with.com if i agree with this politician that i'm in this party and that may be true for how other parties approach it but with libertarians we don't do that we start from some basic fundamental principles and you know for me my basic foundational principles come from both my libertarianism and my christianity and that is that every every human being is inherently um, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights you've heard that that Every single person is given rights by virtue of breathing, and no government can take those rights. Rights are not up for a discussion, and they are not up for a vote. And removing those rights is a violation of said rights, and the individual is the most important person on the planet. You are alone responsible for yourself, and you alone are responsible for taking care of yourself, your family, and by extension, your community. And... I also look at every person as though they have dig they have they deserve dignity, respect, and love. And so I try to look at at people as human beings first. And and I think that is if you do that, then the rest kind of follows. You look at it and go, well, justice should exist, equality should exist, uh, the ability for people to exercise their own uh, self government exists. Uh, so. I really look at people as people first. I try not to demonize people or mischaracterize people or make a caricature of my political opponents. 
I think that somebody like AOC or Donald Trump. All right, let's take AOC. AOC is somebody that I think uh, does want power. Donald Trump does want power. I think they genuinely believe what they say. I just think they have bad ideas. I don't think that they're bad people. I try to not impugn other people's motives from the start. I try to understand where other other people are coming from and kind of examine it from that. I, I don't I have been around so long that I try not to give into the debates of the day. Like we talk about the debates of the day, but in a different way. You know, for for instance I try not to just parrot what either side says about the other side or what the issues like there are grains of truth in so for instance in terms of protecting free speech there is a lot of truth about what the right says about the left um but I try not to just delve dive into clichés and 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 uh, just give you a litany of clichés I think if I just did shows where I just repeated a ton of clichés it probably would be uh, I'd be more popular. I'd have more listeners. I'd be more uh, beloved in the libertarian community. But We Are Libertarians is, and all of our hosts and all of our magazines and websites and social media accounts and communities, they're all about trying to think differently and uh, respect one another and come from a place of dignity, love, and respect. So all, you know, disrespecting and delegitimizing government. So... That is a little bit about what I believe and what you're going to get out of the show if you're, you're kind of tuning in for the first time. Uh, you know, Previously, I had done a run last August about uh, 20 minutes a day, and I was doing basically 10 hours of political talk a week uh, straight. You know, some talk show hosts will do 10 hours a week, but they have you know, half of that as commercials, and they get breaks. I didn't have that, and I, was, I had no staff. I was just... I, I literally just worked myself ill last year because I was trying to do too much. Um, so I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to overwork myself. I, I, after that, was like, you know what? Let's start recruiting people to come in and do other shows and expand the amount of content. And uh, let's put out a lot of content. But there's plenty of people willing to help. Sometimes you get into a position where you... You need to ask people for help, and several people in We Are Libertarians basically said, like, you don't need to do all of this yourself. If you have a big enough community that if you offer up opportunities, people will go, oh, I'd love to do that. Thank you. And that's what's happened, and it's just been truly amazing because I've made so many great new friends over the past year, and I think we put out a lot of great content, and so we're going to continue that spirit as we move forward. So. Um, there is a whole lineup of libertarian podcasts that you can get at wearelibertarians.com. Uh, this is the Chris Spangle show. I also host We Are Libertarians. That's an ensemble show and it will be me talking with uh, friends and other people and it's based around conversation. This though is just a conversation with me and you. Uh, this is a place where I will just come and talk with you about what's going on in the news and, and what we're doing. Uh, in the world and how we can try to respect each other, love one another. Uh, and I'm just doing this all live and I'm doing it alone and uh, I'm not going to be perfect at it and it will evolve over time. So please be patient. Stick with me. I really do appreciate it. Uh, we are going to have commercials in this show and that is by virtue of me again trying to get that training uh, the commercials are promoting things that I love and promoting the other pieces of the network. Uh, so it's it's it, and we're going to try and make them funny for you. We're not going to try and make it boring, and they're not going to be very long. But uh, it's just going to give me a break 
And so I can take a drink, maybe pee, check my Facebook, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, that is pretty much what we're doing. And uh, that is the, the game plan. And after we come back from this break, I'm going to talk about mass shootings, the cause of mass shootings and signs that you can look out for. So with that, please stay tuned and we'll be right back. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. LAVA stands for Libertarian, Anarcho-Capitalist, Voluntarist, and Agorist. And if you consider yourself to be in any of those categories, all of those categories, or just interested in learning about them, then the LAVA Flow podcast is for you. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. The Lava Flow Podcast, channeling the flow of information to the libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, and agorist community. The, the Lava Flow Podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians Network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear we leader, are supported we by listeners to. like you. Donate per episode through Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. All right, welcome back to the Chris Spangle Show. Live mixing this, uh, so that is why that was horrible. So... <laughs> First episode, we'll get we'll get the hang of it. I uh, just I'm not a patient person, so I'm like hit the button. It's almost a, uh, so I, I'm jumpy, uh, but 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 I'll get better. I promise. So I want to talk about uh, the signs of a person who may be in danger and uh, what what do mass shooters have in common? And I I have been on a couple different shows talking about gun violence this week as well as my own. And I've basically said, listen, there is a fundamental underlying cause. Instead of uh, going down this divisive road of trying to strip people of their gun rights, why don't we talk about why people turn to mass violence? Why do they shoot people? Why, do, why does this happen? Why do people join ISIS? Why, you know, why does white supremacist terrorism, as we saw in El Paso, happen? Or, you know, just deranged sensualist violence in Dayton happen? And let's take a look at those issues and then start working our way back and see if we can prevent some of these tragedies by actually coming together to solve some of these problems. But that requires us to understand some of the signs. And I felt that it would be helpful for us to have a discussion about that today and to talk about why exactly a mass shooting takes place and what is the psychology of a person that does that. And this is just the beginning of that conversation. I, I intend to do more shows around this topic and give you information. So I, I just think that the, the pro-gun argument usually falls flat because it just screams, "Give me, don't take my rights, don't take my rights. And I don't feel that that is a compelling argument to people who are okay with taking your rights. 
And so the goal always is to find the arguments that will persuade people to fix the problem that is taking place in society while also protecting people's rights, be it First Amendment rights, the right to privacy, your right to protect yourself, your right to free expression and free organization, uh, free movement. Uh, how, how do we protect rights and solve problems at the same time? And I think that we are, as a movement, not doing a great job of that. Uh, and we, I, I want to be part of that solution. So that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Um, so th- is there any research on mass shootings? That was the first question that we really asked ourselves and started looking into. And there is. There is some research on it. I'd love to see more and understand a little bit more about this. If you do know of it out there, please send it to editor at wearelibertarians.com. Uh, so the research shows that Incidents like we saw in El Paso and Dayton typically happen in clusters, and they tend to be contagious. Uh, Now, intense media coverage tends to drive the contagion. So that right there is the first step. But here's the problem. The media, which is typically, you know, your CNNs, your New York Times, your mainstream media, is so hellbent on stripping you of your gun rights that they're probably never going to enact one of the solutions, which is, don't cover this at the level that they're covering it. You know, I think it's newsworthy. It's obviously a tragedy that needs to be covered, and people need to understand an important uh, problem in our society. But it is taken to a level where shooters are given fame, and that drives a lot of uh, further shootings. The Dayton shooter flat out said that part of why he did it was because of the El Paso shooter. The El Paso shooter was inspired by the Christchurch shooter. And the drive to to basically, I'm sorry, you'll never convince me that the goal of the anti-gun crowd isn't confiscation. The, the confiscation crowd is basically using these in a ghoulish way to try and strip people of their rights. And that, in an effort to do that, they are actually creating part of the problem with the, with the media coverage. So back in 2014 and 2015, researchers at Arizona State University analyzed data on causes on cases of mass violence. And the lead researcher, Sherry Towers, wanted to know whether causes of uh, mass violence, cases of mass violence, excuse me, spread contagiously like in a disease outbreak. Quote, what we found was that for the mass killings, these are high-profile mass killings where at least four people are killed. There were significant evidence, uh, evidences of contagion. We also found significant evidence of contagion in school shootings. Now, Jillian Peterson, a criminologist at Hamline University, found similar results in her research. Towers and her colleagues also found that what sets apart shootings that were contagious was the amount of media coverage they received. She also found that there is a window when a shooting is most likely to lead to more incidents, about two weeks. Uh, We'll put in the show notes the link so you can see the results for yourself. It's a form of social contagion, says Peterson, somewhat like a suicide contagion. That's when a high-profile suicide leads to more people taking their own lives. For example, following the suicide of actor Robin Williams, researchers documented a 10% spike in suicide in the months following his death. Vulnerable individuals who are already struggling with suicidal thoughts read or watch news reports of an actor's death, and then they took their own lives. Now, Peterson has interviewed living mass shooters in prison and people who knew such perpetrators and has found 
that these individuals often start out feeling suicidal. So this is another place where we can start uh, to make some action, make some action take place. The majority of gun deaths in this country are already suicides. It's like three quarters of the gun deaths are suicides. And what drives a lot of these mass shooters? It is suicidal tendencies. So let's treat suicidal tendencies and suicidal thoughts, specifically in men who make up the biggest population, as the public health crisis it is, and start trying to find solutions around keeping people alive and supporting people who have suicidal tendencies. I myself have struggled with this. I've talked about this uh, after Anthony Bourdain's death. If you go and listen to that episode, I talk a lot about my own struggle with suicidal thoughts and how I was able to walk out of that situation and find meaning. I am, I am living the happiest period of my life. I am extremely stable. I, I don't think I will ever have suicidal thoughts again, barring, I'm sure, some horrible catastrophe like losing a, a spouse or child. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm thriving at this point in my life and I did a certain set of things to, to get out of that. A lot of it is just managing your anxiety and, uh, depression through exercise is the key thing. It's exercise and maintaining my spiritual life. Those two keys really are what have, have saved me, uh, my spiritual life and, and going to church, being part of a community prayer, that has been hugely instrumental in helping me, as has exercise. I've lost about 70 pounds, uh, just maintaining a good physical condition, eating good food, taking vitamins, tending to my physical being, and having healthy friendships, healthy, healthy support systems, going to therapy, uh, really finding meaning through community has been a huge part. I mean, in a lot of ways, We Are Libertarians is why I'm alive. It's because I found meaning through this community that I built. And uh, they got me through my divorce, and I'm alive because of it. So uh, really, that that is key. It, it takes people intervening in the lives of other people, and we have walled each other off from each other. Uh, well, I don't want to bother them, but a lot of times those people really do need to be bothered. They want to be bothered, or when they're ready to be bothered, they, they remember you intervening, as you heard with Tanner and his uh, addiction issues on this week's We Are Libertarians episode. So it is important to watch out for your friends and family and watch for some of these warning signs. Um, but if you're interested in more of my story, then you can go back and listen to that episode of We Are Libertarians. Uh, I'll see if I can pull that up. Um, now, their data reveals that 80% were actively suicidal prior to shooting. Peterson says, in very rare cases, a tiny minority of people considering suicide go down the path of violence towards others. So it's a small minority, but it is a violent minority. Now, she has come to think of mass shootings as a form of suicide. Uh, they're angry, horrible suicides that take a lot of people with them. The shooter never intends to live. There's never a getaway plan. Uh, typically, they tend to think of this as their kind of last moment. And I think that really, if you read kind of the follow-up stories in the days after these shootings, you hear that trend. Now, Peterson says there is an element of wanting notoriety and death that you don't have in life. So when one happens and it makes headlines and the names and pictures are everywhere and the whole world is talking about it, that becomes something that other people see as a possibility for themselves. Now, she, uh, Peter Langman, a clinical psychologist in Allentown, Pennsylvania, says about half of the school shooters I've studied died by suicide in their attack. It's often a mix of severe depression and anguish and desperation driving them to end their own lives. 
So a mass shooting, he continues, happens, and then vulnerable individuals who are actively suicidal and in crisis and hear about the shooting see this as a kind of script they could readily follow. So suicidal tendencies uh, are definitely a portion of it. So uh, with that, we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about the history of mass shootings. The National Institute of Justice and the LA Times did a big study on mass shootings. And we're going to tell you a little bit about the trends that they found once we return from this break. (laughs) Classic wall right there. It's classic wall. Uh, I guess I'll start that over. Classic wall. Uh, Just did this great commercial and I didn't hit record on it. That's I love when we go back to the greatest hits. Yeah, the, Harry. yeah greatest hits. Of, well, this is the classic wall here. The best moment happened is the greatest twenty minutes of comedy in the history of comedy happened on a show, and I didn't record it. Yep, several shows like that actually. This, this is long before the days of backups and fancy equipment. And the mm-hmm. reason that we have fancy equipment and we never screw up ever, yeah, is because of our Patreon members. Exactly. So thank you for supporting us. If you are a Patreon member, if you're not. $5 a month, you get the bonus content, you get uh, the CD quality show, commercial free, you get it before anybody else. At $10 a month, you get an exclusive Facebook group, uh, and then and you can also get a notification to join the live streams. Uh, see, I, we never mess up. Uh, you can chat with us during the show. Members of the Royal Court at $25 get a poster and free shipping in the New Year Libertarian store. You can also join the Emperor's Circle at $100 a month. The ultimate way to support the show, you get uh, to sit in on pretty much everything. If you donate a hundred dollars a month, Harry, you basically own me. Yeah, yeah. Christy, Christy Avery, the f- I, th- I don't know if she was the first, but I mean, she just tells people flat out, "I own him." When we go out to events, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I don't ever argue with Christy Avery. Uh, it's not so, smart to. No, she's always right. So this is the number one way to uh, help the show. So join now at WeAreLibertarians.com or Patreon.com slash WeAreLibertarians. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Are those dry, boring, run-of-the-mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? No further blast off with Johnny Rocket is a Seattle-based podcast expressing viewpoints of free markets, voluntary exchange, badass music, wicked banner, and of course, drinking. The blast off doesn't shy from the truth, but always brings the party. Let's rock and roll, Raylene. Bring it on, Johnny. You can check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blast off. Again, that's thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blast off. Launchpad Media. Always launching ideas in your direction. We are supported by listeners like you, so visit we are forward slash wishlist to help upgrade our equipment. 
All right. Well, I had a productive break uh, posting memes. Uh, you may have heard, some of you may have not, that Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide last night in jail. And so not surprisingly, the Clintons are a trending hashtag on Twitter. And the memes are just fantastic. So, uh, yeah, suicide. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, all right, we are back. We are talking about mass shootings. We are talking about the causes of mass shootings. What are some similarities that mass shooters all have? My name is Chris Spangle. You're listening to The Chris Spangle Show here on the We Are Libertarians Network, and we are funded by our patrons. So join our Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. While you're there, join all of our other communities and make friends. Don't isolate yourself. And if you do isolate yourself, at least isolate yourself with some cool people like our listeners. So... Uh, now we're back to the topic. We're talking about mass shootings and, uh, I want to talk about some research done by the Los Angeles times. The LA times has been studying the life histories of mass shooters in the U S in a project funded by the national Institute of justice. And so they build a database going back to 1966 of every mass shooter. I believe in 1966, that was the first mass shooting that took place. Uh, in the United States, uh, at the University of Texas, a guy th- uh, climbed up the bell tower with a rifle and started killing people. Uh, that was uh, a watershed moment in terms of gun violence here in America. And they studied every mass shooter going back to 1966 who shot and killed four or more people in a public place and every shooting incident at schools, workplaces, and places of worship since 1999. So this is a very comprehensive study, a lot of data and uh, can give us some really good insights. Now, the interview they interviewed incarcerated perpetrators and their families, shooting survivors and first responders, as well as read media and social media, manifestos, suicide notes, trial transcriptions, and medical records, as well as just gathering uh, some of the basic data. Now, they revealed four commonalities among the perpetrators of nearly all mass shootings that they studied. The vast majority... Number one, the vast majority of shooters in their study experienced early childhood trauma and exposure to violence at a young age. The nature of their exposure included parental suicide, physical or sexual abuse, neglect, domestic violence, and or severe bullying. And the trauma was often a precursor to mental health concerns, including depression and anxiety. That is why, in my opinion, something like the Me Too movement is very beneficial to our society at large. It changes the conversation around domestic and sexual violence. It allows people to come out and tell their story. Um, Men, I have been amazed uh, every time I look at the data when we do a show about um, sexual violence and domestic violence. Men are often molested and raped at the same rate, if not more than women, they just aren't open about it. They don't talk about it because there is not a culture in, uh, in America or really anywhere in the world where talking about that vulnerable moment is considered masculine. And so that is a huge problem. There are men walking around with wounds of domestic and sexual violence and physical abuse and sexual abuse that they're not, they're not talking about. And so that is a key component of solving this crisis is – uh, a building a culture where talking about those traumas are incredibly important and allowing men to appear quote unquote weak and making them feel comfortable in telling their stories. So that helps other victims who aren't willing to come forward and tell their stories. 
and I think that's just an incredible, important piece of solving all of this. And really, when you look at how women have begun to thrive and they they are leading in terms of college graduation and home ownership, and women are really uh, kicking butt at the moment. And that is because there has been a concerted effort over the last 20, 30, 40 years to create a culture of empowering women. And we need to do the same thing for men. It doesn't detract from empowering women if we also empower men and encourage them to live emotionally healthy, physically, mentally, spiritually healthy lives. It doesn't, it, it doesn't diminish the feminist movement uh, by encouraging men to do the same. And I think that we, we all need to be very careful about how we talk about masculinity, how we talk about men, and how we talk about uh, a, a lot of different aspects from all angles in not signaling to men that it is not okay for them to talk about their past traumas. It's just incredibly important. If you're listening to me, if you're hearing the sound of my voice, if you're a victim of childhood trauma of any sort, if you're a victim of parental suicide, physical or sexual abuse, neglect, domestic violence, severe bullying, these wounds can be fixed just as I went through it. As I went through four years of therapy, I continue to go Uh, You can live a healthy, happy lifestyle. You can live in a way that isn't a prison, and that pain can be relieved through the gift of talk therapy and just opening up about your past traumas and your past wounds. So I highly encourage you to take that step. It is not a weakness to be emotionally healthy and to continue to live a, a healthy life. It's really the strongest thing a man can do is take responsibility for his own life. And that begins with taking responsibility for his own brain, his own words, his own thoughts and actions. Now, the second point that this study found in uh, the, from the National Institute of Justice and the LA Times in their survey of mass shootings, practically every mass shooter studied at, had reached an identifiable crisis point in the weeks or months leading up to the shooting. They often had become angry or despondent because of a specific grievance. For work shooters, uh, a change in job status was frequently the trigger. For shooters in other contexts, relationship rejection or loss often played a role. Such crises were, in many cases, communicated to others through a marked change in behavior, an expression of suicidal thoughts or plans, or specific threats of violence. So one of the things that we need to do is create, um, uh, again, a culture in America of... uh, If somebody expresses to you that you were suicidal, do you know how to handle that? If somebody says that they are feeling violent tendencies towards someone, or you can tell there has been a marked change in somebody's behavior, a deterioration, a spiraling... Uh, in the case of um, you know being around victims of domestic violence, there's a very real pattern of spiraling in their violent spouses, ex-spouses. And how do we handle that? How do you handle that? Do you call the police? Do you hire a lawyer? Do you call a mental health professional? Like, do you call your insurance? Do you go to a therapist? There's very little in ways of uh, intervening in that situation. We have thousands of violent deaths in domestic violence because there are there are thousands of women who have no idea how to handle a violent ex because the system that we have created isn't set up for that because like and i get it it's what is it a pre-crime a thought crime you're going to arrest somebody for a thought crime it's and i'm not talking about 
legal action. I'm talking about how do, how do we create a network of solutions or uh, uh, you know privately funded interventions that that can really help uh, protect people. That that's what things like the Julian Center, the Women's Shelter here does. You know, and I I read that the Dayton shooter, I believe it was the Dayton shooter's mom, had contacted police. You know, if you look at the Parkland shooter, his mother had called the police several times. The FBI had interacted with this kid, and nothing was done about it. There was there, you know, so for the people who are constantly talking about background checks and red flag laws, it's like, you know, our system is failing in some of that, and that's why I think the red flag laws come up. I am not a fan of red flag laws. I believe that the the propensity for abuse of this system is incredibly high. You have the governor of New York saying that he wants to create a national mental health database. And so somebody who has been open about their suicidal thoughts but is perfectly stable and perfectly happy in life and perfectly responsible and a productive member of society uh, but still takes SSRIs, antidepressants essentially, there's a likelihood that I would be included in that mental health database and denied uh, a weapon. I have, I have a fundamental right to protect myself, and I'm a respons- I would be a responsible gun owner should I own one. So uh, there's, there's a ton of uh, potential for abuse. So I see the do-good impulse in that, but it does concern me when we're talking about stripping people's rights away. You know, the, the, the idea that we're going to close down entire websites or really close down an entire ideology in conservatism, that everybody, everybody must be progressive for there to be no violence in the world, haha, uh, which is sort of what some people are inherently pushing um, by tying literally every conservative to white supremacy. It's bizarre. Um, all that does is just kind of feed that idea. Uh, oh, Amazon man's here. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that scared me. <laughs> um, the cats are freaking out now. The, the, someone just knocked on the door to drop off a package. And m- every time that happens, Muffins just goes right into attack mode. So she is, she is the little weakling of the two cats, and the strong one hides, and the weak one rises up to protect. It's so cute. Um, so now... Uh, so there really is no good system. If you see a family member or a friend spiraling in terms of drug use or violence, like what do you, what are you going to do? I don't really have a good answer for that. So I may may do a show on that and see if I can help give you some information. But I don't think we have a very good idea of how that ought to work. Uh, so number three in this um, uh, the, this study of mass shooters going back to '66 by the LA Times was uh, the, the other trait that they had, the commonality that they all had. Most shooters had studied the actions of other shooters and sought validation for their motives. Now, in the age of 24-hour rolling news and social media, there are scripts to follow that promise notoriety and death. And societal fear and fascination with mass shootings partly drives the motivation to commit them. So it is the responsibility of journalists and media members and those who have a platform to think responsibly about how they're covering this. Are you using the old it bleeds it leads or are you trying to inform people? Uh, you know, I'm trying to produce content here as I talk about this stuff that leads any of the young men listening to me towards a, a, a place of healing and a place of nonviolence. Uh, can we say the same about CNN and the media? 
They're creating divisiveness and conflict by pushing one agenda and one agenda only. And some are even now publishing articles that if you talk about mental health in terms of mass shootings, then it's the new thoughts and prayers and you're contributing to the problem. Just get rid of the guns. That's incredibly dangerous. That's just going to, as you're hearing through this episode, that's just going to create more problems. So number four. The shooters all had the means to carry out their plans. Now, in 80% of school shootings, perpetrators got their weapons from family members. Workplace shooters tended to use handguns they legally owned, and other public shooters were more likely to acquire them legally. Uh, So that is a a call to those of you who do own guns to make sure that you are responsible about it and that you are uh, taking care of your firearms and that you're not allowing at-risk people to get anywhere near those weapons. Uh, If you are a gun owner, it is your duty to protect the lives of other people because of that firearm. It just is. You take on that responsibility. It's it's a right, but it's also a responsibility. And uh, the more gun owners that take this responsibility seriously, the less calls for legislation there will be. Um, you know, I, I've had an argument in our Facebook group with uh, a couple people who are mad that I said that uh, this kid who went into Walmart who was trying to film a pro-gun video like Caitlin Bennett of Liberty Hangout and Infowars, you know, who walked around Kent State, of all places, with an AK-47 trying to be provocative and get attention for herself. Uh, so he walked into a Walmart days after a shooting at a Walmart with an AK-47 and his camera and body armor well, what do you think is going to happen? Like, that's a cry for help. That's, that's a seriously uh, dangerous thing to do. That's a scary thing to do. That's inciting panic in people. Uh, yes, he may or may not have committed any crimes, but he's being irresponsible. And so those of us who believe in gun rights need to police our own and say, that's not a responsible use. This isn't the, the power to kill is not for show. It is not for you to get attention. Uh, that's an incredibly dangerous thing, and somebody's going to get hurt. Like this is, this is not somebody that we need to support and rally around. Yes, he shouldn't be charged with terrorism charges, but you do have a responsibility. Individualism requires reason, and there's nothing reasonable about what that person did. So, all right, we are going to take a short break, and then we will finish up on this topic. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Harry, what are you doing? Playing Deep Space Waifu. <laughs> is this an actual game? Sure is. I'm going to do it. I'm putting on one hand mode. <laughs> okay, don't do that in the middle of the studio. What? How, so what are you trying to get yourself a waifu? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you defend your waifu and you try to undress you with the, with the gun. It's really cool. All right, well, I have no idea how to turn this into an ad for our Patreon, but I'm going to. How, how do waifus and Patreon go together, Harry? Well, you know, if you like your waifu and you want to support her, you should also support We Are Libertarians. Why? Because if you don't, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're, your waifu gets, you know, attacked by bombs or thing like that, and you've got to be able to defend her. <laughs> Please support our waifus. <clears throat> All right, well... I- with this madness going on in the background, let me tell you about our Patreon. We, let me tell you about our Patreon. Long ago, opinion journalism only existed in newspapers and magazines, but the internet has given rise to new voices like We Are Libertarians. And we are here every week, every day now, 
day in, day out, talking about current events and giving you arguments for your friends and family. And uh, we have a, we have a big network. We have like twenty to forty people involved in We Are Libertarians, and all those people need equipment. They need software. They uh, we really need your support. And uh, if you want to support independent uh, media, then you you have to actually put your your wallet where your mouth is. Let me say that. So become a citizen, five dollars a month, and get our bonus content, CD quality, and commercial free shows. And before anyone else, at ten dollars. Nobility get to access the exclusive Facebook group and a notification to join the live stream and chat with us during the show. Members at the Royal Court get a $25 poster and a free, and they get free shipping in the new We Are Libertarian store. You can also join the Emperor's Circle at $100, and you get to sit in on our co-host strategy calls or our editorial meetings, and you get private access to Dear Leader and a guest spot on the show. And we mention your show every single week. So this is the number one way to help the show. So join now at wearelibertarians.com or patreon.com slash wearelibertarians. Harry, how many waifus did you catch? Just one. Right now I'm defending her. Almost at the boss level. Five stars right now. The foundation of what we do is conversation. Join in on our social media. Find all of the links at wearelibertarians.com. All right, everybody, we are back here on uh, the Chris Spangle Show. I almost said We Are Libertarians, but you're on the, we're on the We Are Libertarians Network. I am Chris Spangle, and uh, you're listening uh, it, it live. It's, it's all mixed live. We're, it's a brand new experience here for you listeners and for your host. Uh, we'll be here every Saturday talking to you. Uh, so if you found this uh, informational, then please tell your friends. Help us grow the network. Help us grow the shows. And you can find all about We Are Libertarians out at wearelibertarians.com. Uh, all right, so we are talking about an article uh, by the L.A. Times. It's really a study found uh, – excuse me, mush mouth. Uh, the National Institute for Justice did a survey of every mass shooter since 1966, and they had found some uh, some various trends. And like, I, like we said, it was childhood trauma. It was uh, an identifiable crisis point. It was – studying other shooters and their motives, and they all had the means to carry out their plans. And so if we want to stop mass killings and we're only looking at guns, we're only looking at number four, and there still is number one through three in terms of solving the crisis. And if you solve, if you help intervene early in one and two, then you can uh, eliminate the need to even act on three and four. So it's just incredibly important that we start changing our discussion about things that will actually work and that everybody will participate in that will benefit anybody. If if somebody is suicidal, if somebody has childhood trauma or adult trauma, and we build a culture where we're intervening in people who are at crisis points, they may not be killers. You know, it's not just about stopping mass killings. It's improving the life of, of all Americans, of all human beings, really. Uh, so I really think that we need to put our money and effort towards helping people heal from suicidal tendencies, childhood trauma, uh, depression. It's really the root of why the life expectancy in America has gone down for the first time in the last two of the last three years. Uh, it's because sui- deaths by despair, drug deaths, uh, suicides, mass killings like this it's it's why that is increasing uh and so if we can solve the root of the issue then we can solve the issue in itself without taking anyone's rights so criminologists jillian peterson and james Dinsley found patterns emerge among school shooters 
Now, all of the K-12 school shooters or would-be school shooters since 1966 were male between the ages of 12 and 17. The majority were white and nearly all, 91%, were students or former students of the targeted school. All mass shooters since 1966 had a large number of risk factors for violence. 45% had witnessed or experienced childhood drama. 77% had mental health concerns as evidenced in a prior diagnosis, previous counseling or hospitalization or medication use. 75% had an interest in past shootings as evidenced in their writing, social media posts, or other activities. 87% showed signs of a crisis as exhibited in their behavior before the shooting. 78% revealed their plans ahead of time, often on social media. 80% of mass school shooters were suicidal. 52% of mass school shooters killed themselves. 15% were killed by police and 30% were apprehended. The remaining 3% are unknown. Uh, Now, Michael Stone, Dr. Michael Stone, a forensic psychiatrist who maintains data on some 350 murderers going back more than a century, says about one in five mass murderers show evidence of psychosis. One in five. The other 80% have many of the problems that nearly everyone has to manage at some point in life. This is something every one of us deals with at some point in life. Anger, isolation, depressive moods, resentments, and jealousy. Uh, He says, scientists find that only a small fraction of people with persistent mental distress are more likely than average to commit violent acts. Patients with paranoid schizophrenia, which is characterized by delusion, by delusional thinking and often so-called command hallucinations, frightening voices, identifying threats where none exist. Uh, People living in this kind of misery are far more likely to be victims of violence than perpetrators, but they can act violently themselves, especially when using drugs or alcohol. So hopefully this gives you a better understanding uh, of what's happening. The scary part, I think, for most people is that there is... um, there's no easy solution, and the solution to solving these problems requires work from all of us and those of us who are, as I've always said, the idea that uh, I am trying to legislate what is going on in a person's life in California is ridiculous. Uh, the idea that I'm trying to manage the life of somebody in Syria is ridiculous. The reality is that each of us individually can only really manage our communities in terms of our prehistoric brains. And so the hundred people in our sphere, the friends and family that are in our sphere, our coworkers, that that's our reality. And these mass shootings are only going to be lessened. I can't say eliminated because I don't feel that there is a way to eliminate them completely. Mass killing will always take place. It has always take place, taken place and um, takes place at a, at a mass scale in the name of governments. Um, but mass killings will never be totally eradicated and they are clearly understandable preventable if we do a a few of these things if we actually get this information that i've just shared with you out to the public we stop arguing over one of the solutions you know in terms of limiting access to people that have firearms that that that's like the least effective of the four tendencies the commonalities that these that these folks have and if we can build a culture of intervention for our friends and family and coworkers that we can see are in trouble, and, in, and I'm not calling for government solutions, I'm calling for private solutions and people to put their minds and brains together to figure out how we can solve some of these interventions, that's going to eliminate so many problems. That's going to eliminate abusive relationships. That's going to eliminate drug The Boss Hog Liberty Whoa. Podcast. Um, I was counting off on fingers and scared myself. 
if we can if we can just eliminate a lot of these problems then a lot of lives will get better domestic violence lessons drug use lessons the um deaths and mass shootings lessons you know gang violence will hopefully lessen and although the drug war plays a a hard a big part in that um terrorism at large will lessen violence across the board will lessen and so it's up to each and every one of us to take this information and decide how we're going to do that and how we are going to um help each other live better lives and help protect uh each other from uh, either hurting themselves or hurting others so uh, with that, I thank you for listening to The Chris Spangle Show this week. I appreciate you listening to all of the We Are Libertarian shows, which you can find at wearelibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spangle, and I appreciate you being here. Please share this. Share this with your friends and say, hey, this is a look at gun violence. That uh, This is the trends that we all have in mass shootings, and uh, let's start here. So if you, if you got something out of this, if you learned something, then please share it with your friends. And please tune in next week for The Chris Spangle Show. I'm Chris Spangle, and with that, I say have a good day.